Hello, and welcome to the Human Instrumentality Podcast, your guided deep dive into the seminal animated series, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm Ian Corey. And I'm Joseph Schaefer. In this episode, we discuss the second rebuild of Evangelion movie called You Can Not Advance, with help from our guest, writer and podcaster, Eric Thurm. If the first rebuild movie was a more or less faithful recreation of the beginning of Evangelion, the second immediately signals a stark departure. For the sake of our guest, we'll keep this recap short. It opens in Nerve's Antarctic Bethany base, where a new bespectacled pilot, Mari, is inside of Unit 05, battling a rejuvenated Third Angel. It's a new design this time, that is attempting to escape its holding facility, Acheron. She's coached in her battle by Ryoji Kaji. Mari manages to defeat the Angel, but only by self-destructing Unit 5. And immediately after, Kaji flies away with a briefcase. We then cut to Shinji and Gendo at Yui's gravesite, repeating that scene from the series. Immediately thereafter, a new angel attacks. It's a clock-like entity that walks on water. Before Shinji Consorte, this angel is summarily defeated by Asuka inside Unit 2. This Asuka is quite different from her predecessor. Uh, For one, her last name is now Shinikami. For another, she carries around a new childhood toy, a hand puppet instead of a doll, which we see while she immediately moves into Masato's flat and begins to haze Shinji like she did in the show. Finally, she doesn't have any untoward feelings for Kaji, who arrives shortly thereafter and gives his briefcase to Gendo. This time, it contains a new MacGuffin, Nebuchadnezzar's Key. The movie gets a little shaggy here while Kaji takes the kids to a water treatment facility that preserves some of the last clean salt water and also ocean life on Earth. While there, he gives Shinji Masato's backstory and also the story of Second Impact, this time with four atoms? Meanwhile, Gendo and Futsuki are on the moon excavating the Spear of Cassius, not Longinus, and overseeing the construction of Evangelion Unit 06. They also take a minute to gawk at Kaoru, who loves walking around the moon without a space suit on. This extended world building gets shattered by the battle with Sahakuel, the bomb angel that falls from space. That sequence proceeds more or less directly like the show, except with more effort from the Ava pilots and a totally wrecked Unit 0. In the aftermath, a distraught but lucid Asuka crawls into Shinji's bed and asks him again why he wants to be an Ava pilot. The next act of the movie centers on food. Shinji and Asuka fall into a domestic groove where Shinji cooks her lunches, much like the way Hikari did for Toji in the series. However, Shinji also cooks for Rei, which rouses Asuka's jealousy. Inspired by all of this culinary care, Rei decides that she will cook a meal for the entire cast, including Gendo, in part to bring him and his son closer together. Along the way, Mari has a uh, meet-cute with Shinji where she paraglides into him crotch first and then proceeds to sniff him to get a whiff of the LCL on his skin. Apparently, she's also an agent of Zele. 
Curiouser, Kaji invites Shinji to his watermelon patch and gives him a very queer lecture about the universal nature of love. After all that sexual tension, the only thing that blows is Unit 04 in America, (laughs) triggering, that's right, the Bardiel sequence. At Zele's behest, Unit 2 is decommissioned, since no nation can control more than three Avas due to the Vatican Treaty, and Asuka, not Toji, is selected as the pilot of Unit 3. That new unit's activation test is scheduled, of course, for the day of Ray's dinner party. And also, of course, Unit 3 is infected by an even creepier Bardiel, which Shinji refuses to fight until the dummy plug system takes over, mutilates the angel, and crushes Asuka's entry plug in its jaws. Enraged, Shinji threatens to destroy all of Nerve HQ until once again he's subdued. Asuka is consigned to a strange, molten healing device while Shinji is sent to a detention cell. And again, the instant that Shinji is on the bench, Zeruel takes another shot at the championship. While Kaoru readies for battle on the moon, Mari scraps with Zeruel. She holds her own for a while before resorting to Unit 2's new quote-unquote beast mode, which still can't best the LeBron James of Angels. Ray again tries to blow Zeruel up with a comically big N2 mine, but fails. And worse, this time the angel absorbs Unit Zero with her inside of it. Mari busts Shinji out of jail, hoping that Unit 1 can stop the powered-up angel. Uh, just like in the series, he nearly has Zeruel beaten before Unit 1's battery runs out. Desperate to save Rei, Shinji activates Unit 1's godlike berserker mode. Unfortunately, though he's able to best the angel, he can't save Rei. She's been fully integrated into its core, and her body can't be regenerated. At which point in time, Shinji literally becomes so mad that Unit 1 begins the third impact ritual long before Zele or Gendo had planned. He turns Zeruel into a giant ray totem and opens the Chamber of Guff, inflicting apocalyptic damage on the Earth's surface. And that's where the movie ends. Kidding! In an after credit sequence, Kaoru descends from the moon and impales Unit 1 with the Spear of Cassius, averting the third impact. The end. Sync rate is good. Awesome. Oh, that's um, fine. Do you guys do you guys include that in the in the episodes? The claps? No, no. like a like little like sync rate jokes. <laughs> um, I, one of them is going to make it into the next episode, so I guess for continuity, I'll include cool. this one as well. <laughs> that's it's funny that you say sync rate is good because if there's one lesson we've learned from all of Evangelion, but especially the rebuild movies, it's that sync rate bad. Actually, what what if syncing <laughs> bad though? Right. You don't want to go too you don't want to sync too well because then bad stuff usually happens for sure. Um so I kind of want to start by like talking about how I first became aware of Eric's work because I think it kind of ties really nicely into the tone of this particular movie. Sure. Um uh I, Eric interviewed me for a piece about adult male Carly Rae Jepsen fans in which I sent some stray shots to 
uh, anime fans in particular. <laughs> and then I uh, started following Eric on Twitter and realized like, oh shit, he's really into anime. I shouldn't have been so like... <laughs> oh no, harsh, no, it's but... great. I, I really like... One of the things I think that that I love about uh, Ava as a franchise is that it simultaneously loves fandom and is like extremely contemptuous of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I find it very important to like be able to hold both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Yes. This is a movie that tries that uh, tries and maybe fails, maybe succeeds. I guess we'll get into it to hold those two things at the same time as well uh this is the movie that i feel like has the most conflicted impulses of any of the three rebuilds but before we get into that i want to maybe just get a sense of like how you first became an ava fan and like what angle you're coming at it from just so we're kind of all on the same page here at the start yeah so i'm relatively new to ava i sort of like knew what it was and knew that it was very foundational to particularly a lot of the like anime fandom of a lot of my like maybe slightly older friends that like recommended a lot of stuff to me uh early on and you know this was sort of during the period where it was like almost totally inaccessible and I Mm, wasn't yeah I was not of like an appropriate age to go through the process of like trying to find it like I was too young I think to like know that I should do that or to like have someone a friend who like had a fan sub or something. So the first time that I watched it was when it it you know went on onto Netflix. Um and yeah, it's great. I like really you know really enjoyed that experience and spent a lot of time uh talking about it with Justin Charity and yeah, watched. I think I watched the rebuild movies like last summer when I was like procrastinating from moving, and I really loved them a lot more than I expected to. Like particularly hmm. the third one. It's just very. It's a rude movie. It's a very rude movie, and I totally understand people watching it and being like, "I hate this," and I'm like, "I'm really, I'm glad that like people hated this, and I'm glad I was not one of them." Um, <laughs> yeah, and I also uh, I think I'm increasingly interested in it. like a couple months ago I watched all of Kari Kano. Um, just like, I think the only other TV series that Anno is directed after Ava, um, that is like extremely tonally different, but like really, really interesting. And I think like makes, you know, says like a lot of cool and interesting things about like what he, what his like themes are and sort of like what he is actually interested in, you know, exploring with this stuff. Mm -hmm. This is good because you're coming at it as someone who watched the show for the first time as an adult, where I think like Joseph and I both had like, I did have like the fans sub hookup for a while as a teenager. And I I feel like my first like true blue watching Ava with like complete seriousness was around the time that the second rebuild movie came out. And I like loved the show. I loved the first rebuild. And I, at the time really loved you cannot advance as well. But upon revisiting it for this podcast, I feel like my opinion has very much soured <laughs> on it. But it's interesting because I, I have I've had the reverse experience with the third one where I hated it when it first came out. And now I really, really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was just going to can I just interject for one second here? And this is sort of like a prerequisite. I apologize. But I find this phenomenon of, of people who are encountering it for the first time as an adult interesting because so my 
what is it, a nephew-in-law? Is it when, when you know, if your sibling marries someone and there's children from a previous marriage? My nephew-in-law? Let's just go with that, right? So sure. I've found out that my, my nephew-in-law is about the same age I was when I first started watching Evangelion and is also like an anime fan. Shout out, shout out to you, Jedediah. Nice if you're listening, but you should not be listening to this. It's explicit content. Um, and and so my my mother has sort of come to me and said, he's thinking about listening to your podcast and watching Evangelion should he watch it. And I've I've had this terrible conflict, internal conflict going on where I'm like, it is the best TV series I've I've maybe ever seen, and it's like incredibly like formative to my personality, and I love it. Also, Seeing it that young was probably terrible for me um, or or maybe totally harmless. Like, I don't n- know. So I just wanted to throw that out there into this mix of of I think it's cool that you, Eric, maybe saw it at like an age appropriate time. You know, yeah, I, I really do think so. I don't know. I feel like if I had watched Ava as a teen, I think it, it would have like brought me to some um I, I think that in a lot of ways, Dot Hack Sign filled the role that Ava, I think, filled for a lot of people in that I mm. watched it at like a roughly similar age. And I think it has like not identical themes, but similar ones. And I got so into it that I would like walk around my middle school with like my, you know, Dot Hack Sign like fan art on my my binder and stuff. So like, I think probably I would not have been in a good place to sort of like receive it. I feel very... And I think also it's something that benefits a lot from a, a certain level of like critical. I don't know. I, I enjoy being able to be like, damn, like that shit's crazy. And also I don't have to sort of be like, I can be as invested in it or not invested in it as I want in a way that I think it like has a certain level of gravity that is hard to escape if you're like very impressionable, um, which mm. I think is like a cool thing, but also a thing, you know, that I, I sort of am, am grateful to like not have experienced when I like went through it. Yeah, I, I think it like the fact that it does speak so well to a certain kind of like teenage alienation and loneliness is like maybe a bit much to like double down on when you're an actual teen. <laughs> Whereas I feel like watching it as an adult, like when it dropped on Netflix, I found like I had a, a totally different perspective on Shinji and on the the cast in general where I felt like approaching it more in the age range of like the adults in the show versus being kind of like going through the exact same or not the obviously not the exact same but like the same sort of psychological problems that Shinji was going through it it was hard to have perspective on the craft of the show in the way that now it's like watching it as an adult you can sort of be less invested in empathizing with Shinji and more feeling this kind of like you can see the mechanics of how it's all constructed in a much more clear-eyed way as an adult um which is a a bit less emotionally taxing (laughs) you know what I mean yeah I think so I mean I think like I don't know it's interesting to sort of like interact with the fandom like that already existed because it seems very clear Mm. to me that a lot of it was formed Right, like you said, by people who like encountered the show and like really heavily identified with Shinji. And like, I can sort of imagine what that would be like, but it just was not the experience that I had. Like, if anything, I, it seems to me like the people who have watched and connected with the show since it has been on Netflix have like had that experience, but for Misato, 
Um, mm, yeah, 100%. because everyone is yeah. like everyone is sort of like depressed and like you know in their late twenties and making bad decisions and like that I feel like is a, a like also just like an interesting and like different perspective that you know that people people have on it. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's it's interesting to hear uh, you know different ways that that people relate and and also particularly I think like I'm glad that it was not the first mech thing that I ever watched. Because I I really appreciate having had like a little bit more of a grounding for like what it's like playing with and the ways in which it's like investigating a lot of themes that like are like really inherent, I think, to the genre, but just in this like totally Mm. different way. So I I also am glad that I sort of got to be like, oh, cool, I can like think about this in sort of the context of like a lot of other mech stuff that I've been watching instead of like this is the first thing I have ever encountered in which there are like large robots that fight things. So out of curiosity... What was your first mech? Th- are we talking like Voltron or like what or like Gundam Wing? What are we? I would about? guess I would guess Gundam Wing was the first mech thing that I I encountered. I mean, although there is like a degree, I think to which increasingly I'm like almost all like children's media that or like a big portion of children's media that I consumed in the late '90s and early aughts was like functionally mech stuff, right? right. Like hmm. Power Rangers is a mech show. Like, you know, Voltron, like, I mean, they ju- they have, like, they have a big mech and they, for you know, they do the, they like, do. whatever Voltron thing. And, like, in particular with Gundam Wing, which I've been re-watching recently and I think, like, is not good, which I sort of feel bad about because I have, like, a lot of, like, uh, uh, like, affective allegiance to it. It's, like, not good, but I do think it works really well if you're really young and you're like, whoa, there's like a lot of politics happening in this show. And I like went back and watched it, having watched like a lot of older Gundam stuff and been like, wow, this is like way worse than, you know, like yeah. uh, all of like the, the other Gundam stuff that I'm watching. But I appreciate it as uh, an introduction to the genre, particularly because I think if I had attempted to watch any of the earlier Gundam things that I now really love at that age, I really would have hated them and been like, I don't understand why like Camille is so sad all the time. Oh my God. I'm glad you brought up Camille, the best protagonist of a Gundam series. Yeah. Uh, I love Zeta. I, I, my, I, uh, people told me that it was like sort of controversial, but I, I think it's the best uh, Gundam thing I've seen with the exception of like maybe war in the pocket. War in the pocket, or or I mean, I have fond memory. I'm sorry. I hope we're not alienating Ian. Just oh no, this is into Gundam. <laughs> I have I have fond memories of, but I'm I'm loath to revisit it because I like it so much. Um, 08 MS team. I also watched that recently. It's good, but it's not. I I watched it. Uh, partly. I mean, I've been like watching a lot of Gundam stuff because I've been thinking a lot about like what the different things that you know mechs are used to symbolize and like what things you can sort of like use to make that like i've been thinking a lot about what it would look like to use mechs as a metaphor for instead of like body extension or like power fantasy or like whatever all this other stuff for just like work right and eighth ms team i think is the thing that comes closest to doing that and there are like a couple of episodes where it really is about the drudgery of like being a mech mechanic and like having to like set your mech up in the desert and like 
do an ambush and like getting all of these conflicting orders from people in a way that is not rendered as like tragic it's just annoying Mm -hmm. but it is i think ultimately kind of subservient to this like romeo and juliet style like love story of like there are two pilots on two sides of the conflict that is like a different type of gundam dna that i enjoy but i think like respond to a lot less because i'm like okay like i i sort of get this and i really mostly just want to watch all of these people like hating their jobs right which which again i think is like related to relating to masato instead of shinji the thing about ofms team that that also just briefly just for listeners who haven't who haven't seen it I, i think the other reason why my memory may be like uh inflated is because, and this is the one episode of it that I have rewatched multiple times, it does have the best fight scene in any Gundam anything by, like, a huge margin. So, like, if you're watching Evangelion and you just want more great mech scenes, go look up the Goof Custom fight from 08th MS Team. That, it's, a that super is, good, it's a super good fight. It's amazing. Well, it's also it's also different, right, because it's, like, it's a fight with, like, aliens, right, and not... Or, the sorry, the, the like tenor of the the Ava fights I think is just really different by virtue of them being the angels being sort of like intentionally unknowable versus the Gundam fights which are all like metaphors for in like like human conflict I've had this thought recently and I I I did want to ask you this and I'm again Ian please interject anytime you want but I I wonder if that wing was released in the U.S. first has prefigured part of the U.S. fandom for Evangelion because I haven't rewatched Wing in years, but when I did rewatch it, it was I had the same reaction you did, which is like, "Oh, fights pretty." Anytime someone talks bad, all talking bad in this series, but I I did have this reaction to it where I began to understand the sad boyness of it feels like a direct response to Evangelion. And not as good of a response, but I think that prefigured. And Eric's looking up if if Wing came after, which I'm pretty. I, sure I am did. indeed. Yeah. No, it's before. <laughs> it's before. Oh, yeah. I'm wrong. I think I think mm. so. Right. When did Ava premiere? Ninety six. October yeah, ninety four. It was before. Wing is before. Wait, October ninety four. Ninety four. Oh, so you no. Know, yeah, then it's the year Hold after. On. Right. I thought so, it was. I thought it was ninety six. No, it's October ninety five. God, how have we fucked this up and we've been doing this for six months, Ian? It, according <laughs> according to, to to credible, I mean, actually generally pretty credible source Wikipedia, October 95 uh, okay. is, is what I'm seeing. And Wang premiered in April 95. Oh my gosh. Okay, that is so hmm. strange. To, but they must have been in production at the same time. So there must have been that. That makes a lot water. of sense to me as like a sort of like deep impact Armageddon style thing. Where people like you feel the culture change and people are like, we want to do this kind of version of a mech story. And then like these two come out and they're obviously like incredibly different, but have sort of similar like some characters or superficial similarities and and some like I think Wing really makes me appreciate the extent to which Gundam is good at like purple dialogue, because I think there there is an element where you could be like oh, like, so much anime dialogue is, like, really overwrought and, like, sort of purple, and it's just, like, fun to enjoy on its own. And it's like, no, like, you, it actually is also, like, a thing that requires, like, craft and, and you know, like, an ability to do 
as part of an artistic whole where with wing when people like give these like long speeches about their you know like ideology and like motivations and like how they feel like isolated from the other Gundam pilots or whatever you're just like I really don't give a shit like I I don't know man like I I appreciate that your Gundam has like a cool scythe like that's fun but but it does not feel as sort of captivating as like a very long sequence of like you know uh, like Kaji being like into or Masato being like interrogated and then just being like, I'm going to talk for three minutes. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, you're like, Oh damn, like it rules that you talked for three minutes and like, that's good. Uh, and I, I, I think it like is interesting to think about why that works in some cases and, and doesn't in others. And, and so how do you think that you're, you mentioned that you, having more of this grounding in the lineage and the style of mecha anime has like helped how you approach thinking about Evangelion. What do you think comes to mind? So, so I have my friend who has been sort of like walking me through Gundam and is like a real big Gundam head has like seen, I think basically everything really dislikes Ava and she's like rewatching it now for the first time in a while and sort of is trying to like re-engage with it and i i still really love it but i think that the experience of like going through the history a lot of like early gundam stuff and in particular of like talking about gundam and like eva in relation like with her i think has been really useful for me and being like oh this is what i like about this like this is what feels sort of like compelling and interesting and different and it also feels really useful i think to to think about in the context of like I don't know if there are people that like actually are like, wow, like this is incredible because it's like a show where like the mech pilot doesn't want to be a mech pilot, but it's like, that's also the premise of like the first Gundam is like literally just that there are like multiple episodes where Amuro is like, I actually don't want to pilot the Gundam and I'm going to fucking dip now for a while. Um, And then they have to go and like drag him back to like continue fighting. And it seems pretty clear to me that a lot of what is happening in in Ava is like also building on and like responding to a lot of that stuff. And I I find it much more interesting to read those aspects of Ava as being responsive to the like origins of the mech genre rather than like things that came out of nowhere where he like like mm. I, it's like very clear you know that the Anna was not like whoa what if we did this like crazy thing that no one has ever done in a mech show before but was instead like these are all things that are present and like are very from being subtext to like very textual and we're just gonna like really blow them up and be like this is the whole show now um and from that perspective i find it really interesting to think about as like an entry in the genre i'm interested now to kind of zoom in on the rebuilds because they are in a unique position of not only building on the history of the Mecca the way that Evangelion the show did, but it's also building on the history of Evangelion itself. Uh, so how do you feel generally about the rebuilds? You said you really liked them, so I'm assuming that that also qualifies for this particular movie? Or Yeah, I would say I watched all of them in like a couple of days and really loved them. And when I rewatched two for this, I think I maybe had watched it one other time. I definitely liked it less. Like, I think it is probably less than the sum of its parts. But I, like, really appreciate what he's trying to, like, what the point of the movies is. And in particular, Mm -hmm. I think I really appreciate them as an answer to the question of, like, what do you do when people will not give you money to make anything that is not the thing you already did? 
right? Yep. Because to to me, the like central sort of like tension of the rebuild movies, and like maybe this is unfair in some ways, but I, I really enjoy thinking about it this way, is like being like, I can't believe I have to fucking do this again. And he's like, yeah, I want to like do some interesting stuff. I want to like make some stories. And they're like, okay, but like, is it an Ava thing? He's like, no. And they're like, okay, well, I don't know if we can give you money for this. And it's like <laughs> that process of being like, well, I guess I have to fucking go back. Um, like he like is sort of proverbially getting back in the robot um, that mm-hmm. he does clearly does not want to be in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and I, I like, find the product of that very clear i think at best ambivalence while still following through enough to actually get the movies made uh really fascinating because you could imagine a version of this where these movies never came out right and that's like what i think you could have expected in a lot of ways from like earlier iterations of like you know the way that the ano like worked and like certainly you know they all are like delayed really heavily but like they all got made uh, mm-hmm. And to to me, that plus, like, I, I don't know as much about the other directors and stuff that have worked on them, but the ways in which those people also, like, interacted with what he was trying to do, because it I, it seems pretty clear also to me that a lot of the stuff that is interesting and cool about them came, like you guys said, like, from people who, in the same way that Anna like, grew up with, like, Gundam and, like, other sort of, like, very early mech shows, a lot of the people that are working on these movies, like, grew up with Ava and I think are, are not only is he responding to his own work, but the other people that are working on it are as well. Um, and, like, I think that also is really cool and interesting. I'm not always in love with the results of that, but I think treating these movies, movies and this movie in particular with a certain degree of ambivalence because the first time I rewatched it when we were starting to do the prep for the rebuild podcasts, I was like so aggravated by this movie and I rewatched it again last night trying to take a more chilled out approach. I don't want to come in like too hot negatively on this one. I, I do see what you mean in that it feels like some of it is fans of the show trying to heighten and in like almost exalt the things that they love about the original series while cutting other stuff out. There's yeah, there's like, it feels like there's multiple movies in this movie struggling to break free from each other. You know what I mean? Like there's this sort of slice of life version of Ava that takes up a large chunk of the movie. There's an even more heightened action version of Ava. That's kind of in conflict with that. I don't know. I I'm I'm going to try and be like chill about this one because there's a lot that I do not like oh, about this I, movie. I but. think that's totally right, but I think that's why I like about it. Like it I mm-hmm. think it definitely is true that it is like impossible to fit all of those tones into like a movie and part of it right is that like the being able to do all of these as like an episode or even as like weird scenes that are like interspersed in episodes I think has like a very particular sense of pacing that the show does a really good job with and is able to sort of like navigate between those tones. But when you have to like fit all of that into, you know, whatever it is, two hours, it becomes way harder. That result is definitely um, trying to give the right word. I don't know if it's like disconsonant. Um, like it, it definitely, it definitely steps on itself a lot. Uh, and I think, but like, I find that like really interesting and cool, even if it's not necessarily good, if that makes sense. Yes, 100%. That Yeah, that's kind of what I was stumbling towards saying myself. You know what? Hold, hold, hold on. Okay, because I, I, I just got to say this. You all are, you both 
are such genteel and even-handed people in your critique. And I appreciate it and I love it. And it only makes you both grow in my esteem. That said, uh, I'm not going to do that. No fucking way. Um, I'm going full Super Saiyan on this one because I fucking hate this movie. Um, <laughs> it So many things about it make me mad. And that's that's not to say that there aren't things that, that have a lot of merit or that I think are neat and interesting. Uh, you know, actually, after we recorded our previous episode with uh, Logan Taylor, I looked back on the movie and thought about her concept of generous filmmaking, of giving people a, a, a lot of care and detail. And that did make that did raise this movie in my esteem a, a, a little bit because I it, like it's obviously like a piece of craftsmanship, right? Obviously, it's like a labor of love and and they and the the crew wanted fans to 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 give them a lot to love i think and and that is in my opinion maybe the best thing about it um next next time up even more fan service <laughs> hey truth exactly. in advertising they followed through good good for them and and with some good results so i'm going to just share you on anime news network's fan rated bayesian estimate top 100 anime of all time ava 2 is the top rated ava thing that's wild that's bonkers huh. to me now then again le- here let me where's the chat let me let me send you let me send you guys there. that's not to say that like if, if you look at the rest of this list there's plenty of of blasphemy to go around chief among them that the number one of all time is full metal alchemist brotherhood which is not as good as the original Full Metal Alchemist anime, Fight Me IRL. But at the same time, it's ridiculous to me that out of all the things related to Evangelion, even something as as completely bonkers as End of Eva, that people like this the best in, by some measurable metric. I, I feel such disconnect from the fandom when I see that. I I feel like, I don't know, I... I could be wrong about this, but I do think that a lot of this is just that, like, taste formation and, like, preference is, like, a weird and kind of, like, uneven phenomenon. And, like, in particular, right, like, you brought up Brotherhood, which I watched, like, relatively recently, which I watched almost in its entirety while uh, while building Gunpla as a way to ignore paying attention to the election in November. <laughs> That's a good way to spend the election. It was fucking great. I was like, I literally cannot look at my phone because I'm too busy building the Zaku. Like, I, you know, have, like, all this other stuff to do, you know, and I, it was great. It was really fantastic. And and I think, I think that, like, without getting into a whole discussion about which of the, the Full Metal Alchemist series is, like, better or, like, what that would mean, I think that the thing, to me, it feels like a thing that people respond to a lot about that is it like is a story that people like that is being done with like a clear level of what I would characterize as very like 2010s, like anime craftsmanship, right. That like bones is like very sort of like stylistically effective at like doing certain things. And like the way that they render a lot of the sort of like action elements of it are really beautiful. And that, 
in particular, that's like a heuristic for what you would like in anime that I feel like actually does map quite well onto this movie in that it is like it is very much the full metal alchemist brotherhood of evangelion which is like a very silly sentence but i think like makes some kind of sense and i don't i don't think that i agree with that perspective but i like get it and i have to imagine that a lot of that is like people that will age into having other opinions because i also can totally Mm -hmm. imagine like you know being like 19 or like in your early 20s and being like damn this like fucking whips and then being like (laughs) okay like maybe i sort of need to revisit this and like i think that's like okay i don't know that that feels like a sort of very narrow subset of like who is doing all of the ratings and like what they want out of stuff a hundred percent yeah i that speaks to me a lot because I think when I think about what I liked about this movie the first time I saw it when I was 19 the positive impressions were a lot about the craftsmanship and the stylization and the like legitimately really good action sequences in this movie the first one is maybe a bit uh, uninteresting but once it gets to like the actual angels that you're familiar with from the show I think it's all of the fight scenes are unbelievably cool to watch and that sort of like high level of and in general it's I would say it's really well directed for what it is and my problems with it coming back to it as an adult have less to do with like the quality of the craftsmanship and more about what that craftsmanship is being used to do that makes sense to me I I agree with what you're saying Joseph do you have anything to positive to say about this movie do we want to start with the positives before moving on to the negatives Sure. I, and why don't, why don't I, I'm going to try and focus on things that I think are positive that are related to the storytelling as opposed to the stylistic elements, because I, I do have my stylistic complaints, but mm-hmm. in terms of what I like about the storytelling, this, the shambolic central arc of, of this movie revolves around this metaphor about cooking that was present in the show like and this feels like a thing where they maybe rewatched the show saw the hikari and toji cooking thing during the bardriel fight and thought this was really well done and we could have done more with it and so there is this central arc of the movie where shinji's cooking for asuka and Asuka's trying to learn to cook for Shinji. She's not good at it because, of course, Asuka isn't. Ray's learning how to cook, and Ray actually does have some some acumen for it. And Ray decides that she wants to use her newfound cooking skill to try and bring the cast together as a family and maybe try and rekindle Shinji's relationship with Gendo. And for some reason, Gendo agrees. It's like the most humanizing thing about him, and yet it makes sense because ray has to posit it to him Mm -hmm. right and i thought this does clarify the character relationships and add some shading and depth to them in a way that i like and of course i love the poetic irony that like the the bardiel unit test is what destroys ray's uh plans on bringing people together as a family it's a way of configuring more closely configuring the family drama-ness of the story as its central spine. And I think that worked really, really well. I like the metaphor of cooking, too. Like, the act of, like, caring for something and taking time. It's, like, almost like the show had the the larger metaphor of, like, what it means to get into the Ava and to fight the angels. And 
it didn't seem to get through to people. And so it's using the same, the idea of like connecting to another person and, you know, getting good at something and developing a craft, which I think is sort of a miniature theme across these rebuilds. It's like trying to use those themes in a different place and doing that through the metaphor of cooking, I think is like a clever way of addressing the themes of Evangelion without repeating itself too much. That said, there's there's a lot of stuff about it that feels I feel like we're now we have to kind of dance around the the larger issues because they keep inject like injecting themselves even in these like positive parts of it for me because like how do we feel about Asuka in the Bartriel fight that to me feels like the big thing that needs to be addressed like as like the major change that is made in this movie and sort of precipitates like that central drama that you're talking about, Joseph. So I feel like we need to tackle that one kind of like off the bat. I mean, it's as like the chief Asuka fanboy here, the way that the rebuilds in particular move Asuka to the back burner. Greats. But if you're going to assess the story on its own merits, I think it's still a little bit of a failure because you only get Asuka in the first act of this film and she's taken out of the film well before the climax. And so you don't, it like there isn't a lot of emotional payoff to the loss of her as a character and the tragedy of, of her being the one who's, who's assimilated in the Bardiel fight. It also, there's a pacing issue with the film. I think in that at after the Bardiel fight, it seems like the movie should end. Like it feels like there isn't a definitive like end to the arc of the story if you ignore the intro with Mari. And mm-hmm. and then the film just continues. Uh it, it's as if they like I almost wonder if they wanted so badly to get to the third rebuild movie where there are a lot of new ideas and they they really are messing with the format and playing with the themes. It This movie feels like they just took the last two thirds of the series and pressed fast forward and we're like, just get through it. Just get me to the end. Like, let's just get this movie out of the way so we can do what we really want to do Is is what it felt like to me. I think that's right. Although I also think that's like one of the things that I like about it. Like if anything to me it's like more an indication that the pacing of the first one is too slow because hmm. the in particular like rewatching this time like I definitely agree like Asuka is like way more in the background but like to me like this time through especially it felt like that was part of the bigger project of the movies trying to like slowly strip away all of these things that are like really central to what people like about the show and basically asking like the what to me is the central question of the rebuild movies which is like why are we still watching this like what are we doing here right um (laughs) and like and like the people that are making the movie are asking that of themselves like and of the people watching it and to me that like explains a little bit of both like the character changes to Asuka in that she is like much more abrasive and sort of like almost more of a version of herself that like feels more in more in line with Shinji in terms of like being fucked up. And you like get that sense, right? Obviously over the course of the series that like she also clearly does have like all these issues, but it's still ultimately like cool in a way that I think 
the rebuilds like strip her of a little bit in the first in like this one in particular i mean it obviously hard to like not be cool when you're like ah yes now i have an eye patch and whatever but we're not talking about the third one um but but (laughs) but but that it's like okay we're gonna take that away and you know like really focus on this one particular element of what we wanted to do with this character which i think is like a fair criticism i don't know i i i also don't like love that decision it like makes sense to me for efficiency purposes but mostly i don't like it because i really like toji and i think that Mm -hmm. the movie would have like been way too strong if they had been like and also we need to make sure that toji fits into this fight um so it's the kind of thing where you can imagine it like it like makes like efficiency sense and i i don't like necessarily love it as like a a a choice but i do also like i mean you're saying like the movie just like keeps going and that to me is the beginning of the the movies like starting to really aggressively ask the question of why you are continuing to watch it because the first one doesn't do that really right the first one is very much like okay like this is the thing that you you watched and like you liked it and we're doing like a cool version of it and then this there are like some different things and you're like oh who's this like new person and like what are all these changes and like that's cool and then like you said like the sort of basic narrative arc of it ends and then it's like, and also now we're just going to really like keep pushing on this to the to the point that it takes all of these images and all of these things that people liked about the show and just does them in this way that is like almost intentionally, I think, unsatisfying, like particularly the way that third impact happens in this movie where they're just sort of like, I guess third impact is happening now. And like, I, I understand why, like sort of the, like watching that and being like, what the fuck? Like, why would you do that? And I'm kind of like, Oh, that's like, I don't know. That's kind of interesting that they're like, yeah, this was the whole thing the show is building toward. And we're just going to, you know, like have it happen because Shiji got mad or or you know right. because, because Shinji because Shinji like you know was sort of too lost in the sauce uh uh <laughs> and 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 that it raises other questions of like okay like what is the relationship between like what what is like this sort of like image or like bizarre like baroque like cosmic thing that is like done has been done like multiple other times in the franchise like what is it it's just like a new way i think of putting that idea in relation to shinji and to the characters right because like the ending of the original series has like a very specific way of being like third impact is happening in relation to what's happening with shinji and then like end of eva does and then this does it i think similarly but in a way that is like much less cool and you're just like Mm -hmm. i guess this is happening now and i don't know i kind of like that if only because I think it puts me more into the perspective of my personal favorite character on the show, Fiyutsuki, where he's just like, I guess this is happening. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah, there's something about like the way that Shinji being a much more like active and like less hesitant character in the rebuilds almost makes it so that once things start going truly sideways for him, he like jumps immediately to the sort of like black-pilled version of Shinji that we saw in End of Ava at like a much faster rate. Like the cost of him being like less of a wimp is that he's almost more self-destructive in these movies. And I think there's something to like the way that him like getting back into unit one specifically to like save Ray and to like keep bringing back the thing that he likes about the world feels sort of 
in line with that narrative that you're talking about, Eric, of like, why do the fans keep wanting more Ava? Like, why do we keep making more Ava? Why do we keep like bringing back this thing, even though we know the result of it is that the world is going to end? Like this story can only end that way. And yet we like continuously pursue the sort of like pleasure principle that is being like drawn throughout the whole movie. Well, and I think that's why Well, so I don't want to interrupt, but I think this is a thing I'm sure like, I know we'll like get to at some point, but I, I think I want to like lay a marker down a little bit that this also, I think is the place where it becomes much clearer that there is like some form of time loop thing happening within the movies and that it has some like right. sort of tenuous, like continuity relationship to, to the show and to end of Ava and I think it seems pretty obvious to me, like I, I have not seen and have avoided reading anything about the last one. It seems pretty obvious to me that if you like are expecting really solid answers to those questions in that movie, you like are expecting the wrong thing from it. Cause like, there's just no way that it's going to be like, and this is like actually what was happening in the evil or like, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't know. Like he's forgotten, you know, the whole fucking whatever thing. But, but that, the introduction of those ideas, specifically in the, like, two very brief appearances of Kaoru in this movie, I think really, like you said, like, frame that question and are like, why do we, why are we still doing this? And, like, mm-hmm. we're we're going through this again and again, and particularly that, that you know, in the, the tag, you know, the way that, that Kaoru was like, this time, like, I'm gonna, we're gonna do it right this time. Like, we're gonna get mm-hmm. it. Like, we're gonna, like, I know we fucked it up the first however many times, but, like, we got it this time. Uh, and to me, that's like simultaneously impossible and also admirable to like approach in that way. And I think does also feel like it has some connection to, you know, again, like you said, like Shinji initiating third impact specifically because he just is like, damn, it sucks that Ray is like, you know, part of this angel now. And I'm I'm going to fix that, even if it comes at the cost of like all these other things about the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that gets right to the title, you know, you cannot advance, which is that there's some advances that can be made like Shinji can be like a more caring person that cooks meals for his friends. Shinji can be like a better action hero in these rebuilds. But there are certain relationships and certain patterns of thinking that he just cannot advance past like he cannot reconcile with Gendo, no matter how much the the world of the rebuilds tries to make that happen. There's just certain paths that are impossible and like dead end at some version of third impact is sort of how I view the, uh, the title. And I do think like, yeah, there it's hard to avoid the time loop stuff here in particular because of, of Kaoru's presence and the way that he uh, is framed in these movies. I feel like Kaoru almost in this movie functions as uh, a Greek chorus. They introduce him at the end of the last rebuild, but it seems like he sort of appears when the story begins to veer into into Bonkersville, and his scenes both function as like, dut, dut, dut. let's get back to the point, and 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 it's it's cool to see him on the moon walking around with no spacesuit on and that sort of creepy and and to be clear, while I complained about the fast forwardness of it earlier. The idea of third impact happening too soon, and specifically like Zele and Gendo both being like, what? That's too fast. I find tremendously entertaining as a fan. And while it was not satisfying as a quote unquote satisfying as a viewer in terms of throwing great curveballs at me that I appreciate, which is something Ava's good at, 
I do like Kaoru stopping third impact at rant. It, it's weird that they, they leave that to the, like the post credits tag, because I actually think that's the strongest narrative decision that any of the rebuilds make is be like, what if third impact stops? What if it doesn't happen? Actually, mm. what if they have to live in a post post apocalypse? And what does that say about the fandom? It like, I know we're talking about the second one, not the third one, but I think that's why I like the third one so much is because it does legitimately feel as though here's where we're actually rebuilding the plot as opposed to retelling the mm-hmm. plot, which is what I signed up for, right? Right, right. Would would you have preferred a version of this movie that like where that happens in the first like half hour? I don't know. I, I almost... Because I feel like you could imagine of, that, right? Where it just like right. it like starts and just like in the middle of the fight and the movie's like, you know what's you know like we we get you know what's going on here and then just it like goes immediately into uh, like third impact happening and you're like I don't know what the fuck is happening and everyone's like I don't know what's happening either. It, it almost feels like the cow- like there's there's a tradition of like anime movies like the Cowboy Bebop movie right where they happen quote unquote canonically in the series but come between episodes. I almost would have liked if the entire rebuild series started in the middle of end of Evangelion and then randomly third impact stops. And that is the first movie is it begins with the climax of the quote unquote series and then veers into a different direction. Now, obviously that doesn't work because Kaoru's dead in end of Evangelion, but I I would have almost preferred that. Yeah, it feels like this movie in particular, like the first one is obviously like completely devoted to the show with like a few minor changes. And this one feels kind of caught halfway. Like mm-hmm. I could see it being like an effective, straightforward retelling. And again, that would require you to, we'll get to the Mari thing, I'm sure, but it would require like less of that. It would have to, you know, have Toji instead of Asuka and just had this sort of accelerated, super fast version of the later half of the TV show. And then there's the idea of like, what if this movie goes completely off the rails from the original story? And I feel like they kind of split the difference. And there is some interesting thematic tension in there that I sort of like about how the first half of the movie is almost like the perfect world for Shinji. It right. almost feels like the the high school version of the show that we get to see in the episode 26 where you've got like Ray and Asuka doing like the Archie thing, fighting over Shinji. They're, you know, kicking ass against all the angels and like, he's getting praised by Gendo. And then the second half of the movie is like actually all of that self-satisfaction. And, you know, even with this world that's built to make Shinji happy, he's still never gonna, he's still going to run into that same problem of, you know, not wanting to experience pain. And so as a result, we get third impact no matter what in one way or another. But you kind of have to struggle to see through the movie to look at it that way. Like it doesn't feel good to watch it as it's happening. So t- so to me, Ian, what I'm getting out of this is that you're saying the worldview of this film is it doesn't matter if you learned parkour in a giant robot. It doesn't, but that sequence is pretty fucking rad this hawk wheel fight is a lot of fun in this it movie is, when they build the ramp from depart i just if we don't talk about it it's gonna get left aside i know it's like not germane to the deep conversation we're having but that is one of those moments was like all right that's cool 
Well, I'm, actually, I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm going to say that it is germane because there's something about that as well as the way that Operation Yashima is done in the first rebuild where like nerve are much more an active participant in helping the Ava pilots in these movies. And there's much more of a sense of like communal support in the rebuilds that isn't necessarily present in the show that I really like. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it then just gets so loopy near the end that I feel like that theme doesn't really get paid off, but I, I love it as a single standalone action sequence, even like the way that Sahak wheel gets like increasingly more extra and like over the top, like they keep adding more and more and more like form changes to it as it's falling, like it changes direction. And it like did that sort of degree of like moreness is something that do- does keep happening across this whole movie. And I, I really like the way that that's handled in that fight in particular. This is the difference between you and I. This is why you can take an even-handed approach, and and I hate it. But I can tell oh, that Eric has there's an idea. there's there's more there's other stuff that goes that's like doubling down that I absolutely hate in this movie, and we'll get to that. But in that particular fight scene, I think it really works. No, I mean, so here's okay. Here's my basic. I think this is my most basic critique of the movie. Here's where like the the film and I have like a deep disconnect. Do either of you guys remember? when the force awakens trailer came out yeah i do right okay so pardon me on my little nostalgia thing but if you remember in the force awakens trailer they make a big deal about you see kylo ren first fire up his lightsaber and it in the snow field and it looks initially like it's got one beam and then he's got the two side beams and it's an upside down burning cross right on his laser and that was like the moment in the trailer where that was like this overt signal to the fandom to go oh it's what i love but more and that's what makes it good right and then a few weeks later i wish i could i'm gonna look and see if i can find this video someone did a parody youtube of the force awakens trailer where they just sort of photoshopped in more of everything. And so in that scene, his he does the crossbeam lightsaber, and then the crossbeams get crossbeams, and the crossbeams get crossbeams, and it just keeps going, and it, it underlines how ridiculous the initial premise is. It's like, why is making the lightsaber more better on anything other than an aesthetic pleasure level? It isn't, mm-hmm. and it's sort of silly for you to present it to me as though it is. And I have that experience multiple times in this movie. Um, it's during this a hack wheel fight. It's during the great you the first thing you see of Shinji and Gendo is the grave scene. They make a big point of there being a panning shot where they're like, There are more tombstones now. Right, right. Oh, uh Bardiel getting the the extra arms. That was like probably the moment where I like tapped out, where I was like this is fucking asinine. <laughs> or, I mean, how about the, the increasing levels of, like, cheesecake shit that keep happening over the course of the movie? That's, to me, where it, it really starts to lose me with, like, the, the fan service. That's... I think we're talking about two distinct phenomena, but they're related. Like, I see them as pretty... Re- I, I it, It's all to, like, even more fan service next time, to Eric's point, you know? Right, Wow, I totally disagree. Uh, hmm. Not in the sense, <laughs> cool. not in the sense that that's not there because it definitely is, but in the sense that I like don't think the movie finds those things interesting. 
and I don't think it like I think the movie like get like the the sort of like most bleak reading of the movie is that it thinks you will find them interesting and then wants to tell you that you're an idiot for finding them interesting and that's what i like about them because i have a similar reaction to that fight where i'm like this is cool but i don't understand why it's happening and i think with some of the sort of like cornier relationship stuff i have like an easier time with that if only because i think that part of the the like fundamental like effective move that the the franchise makes is in being able to put those things like right next to the incredibly bleak parts. And I think that the movie does a pretty good job of being like, we're going to give these like characters real connections and like relationships and like give you a sense that like maybe things could be good for them, but like, no, it's not going to be like that. Um, and I, I think there definitely is like a little bit of stuff that feels like, it genuinely is motivated by them being like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? But a lot of that feels really perfunctory to me, and it feels mm -hmm. perfunctory to me in a way that is, like, sort of not fun to watch while it's happening, but that makes me appreciate the ambition of the movies overall, because it like is like that that is like none of the stuff that i remember about this movie the thing that i remember and the thing that i remembered when i before i rewatched it was like almost entirely ray attempting to do a dinner party for for shinji and gendo to me if you like asked me what the movie was about like a month ago i would have said the movie is about ray attempting to throw a dinner party for shinji and gendo and failing and like I don't think that, like, there's too much happening for that to be a really effective summary of the movie, but I also think that it, as a sort of, like, as the movie coming up to the edge of full-on having, like, a sitcom dinner scene where they're all, like, awkwardly sitting around the table and Ray's, like, trying to make conversation or whatever, like, they couldn't, like, quite do that, but of, like, really coming up to the edge of that and then being, like, fuck you and and not and not in like a way i think that is like has like a dismal view i think but in a way that is like yes like we understand that this stuff is cool too but like why and like what are we doing here and the stuff that to me like the movie feels more invested in is the stuff that is the the Kauru scene where like it is cool that he's like floating around without a spaceship like suit and like that's cool but that also the thing that is cool about that scene is Gen is the fact that it is framed as like a weird workplace like work trip that Gendo and Fuyutsuki are on where they're like right. looking at him out the window and are like what's he doing and they're like I don't know man <laughs> like I just like whatever like he's here now uh and that 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 is like a thing that to me the movie feels really invested in to me, and this maybe is like another controversial thing. The movie feels really invested in like either rehabilitating or like making people at being like, like what's Kaji's deal? <laughs> the okay, movie yes. is like really invested in that, right? I think, and the movie is really invested in again, like we've been talking about, like what the the attempt that all the characters are making to like form these relationships in ways that like are not actually, I think, inherently destructive, but that just, like, become much more difficult in the context of, like, the way that they're doing them, and in particular that, like, they are unable to often, like, simply do these, like, acts of care without being, like, jealous or, like, anxious about them, which is, like, especially, I think, true of Asuka in this movie, right? That, like, she is incapable of like just enjoying the fact that Shinji is cooking for her and she has to like get mad that he's cooking for Ray too. And that, that 
like those are the things that to me the movie is like much more interested in or like that or when they go to the like aquarium or whatever it is that's like the this is what the ocean was like before and she's just like damn that's crazy like i didn't know that the ocean could not be red and everyone's like i know right and like that to me also is like a you know taking the the fundamental like like we've been saying right the the post-apocalypseness of it and putting it in this like very banal like school trip context in a way that is like is the thing but more where you're like what if we saw more of the school stuff but in a way that i think says something really interesting and fun about like what the premise of the show is and like to me i like the the action stuff and all of that like levels of fan service i just like mostly just wash over me a little bit and i'm like okay mm-hmm. like i don't know like l- l- let's keep going and i, I definitely don't I don't know. I feel like I like agree fundamentally with the critique that that y'all are making, but also I like really appreciate the ambition of like making a movie that like wants that critique um, and that wants to like simultaneously, like we've been saying, split the difference where it's like, here's some stuff that you've seen and you like, but we're also going to make it fucking impossible for you to enjoy it. And like, I love (laughs) that. I like really love that on like a fundamental, like art, like, uh like artistic level of like we're gonna give you this stuff but it's not gonna be fun uh and like i really i really respond very strongly to the like force of will it takes to like do that you're zeroing in on like all the things that i do think are strong about the movie in terms of the sequences and and I know that Ian has a thought because he and I keep being about to talk at the exact same time. But <laughs> no, I, I think want... we're about to say the same thing. Like, it seems like you, I, I'm glad you brought up Kaji. I'm glad you brought up the aquarium. Like, that's exactly the kind of thing that I want to talk about next because you brought up like, what's Kaji's deal? So what what is Kaji's deal in this movie? Queer Kaji is such a strong choice. I Kaji fucking rules. I don't know. I know a lot of people don't like Kaji. I fucking love Kaji. Dude, dude whips ass. I love Kaji in this movie. That is the, that is like the one true coup of this film is I love this Kaji. He just wants the kids to have an sense a sense of like awe and wonder about the world, and he needs Shinji to not buy into the gender binary. And he's like, maybe I'm a secret agent delivering weird arcane bioweapons, but really I'm just here for the children. And like I like that Kaji a lot. It feels like they because they sideline Masato a lot in these movies and like this Shinji Masato relationship kind of falls by the wayside compared to the show in this stretch. And instead, they sort of have zoomed in on the Kaji Shinji relationship instead. I think the Kaji I feel like Kaji is the the Shinji Masato relationship happens like through Kaji, I think. Mm-hmm. Because the movie is also interested in the Kaji Masato relationship and like the the most of the movie does and I think in putting Masato and Shinji together is like the respective ways they interact with Kaji. Hmm. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, like we get Masato's backstory this time from Kaji instead of from Masato. And you know, there's this like Kaji kind of gets to give like the sage advice to both of them because there's that scene where Masato is like trying to ignore him and is like being a workaholic and Kaji's kind of correctly pointing out like there's more to life than that and you can't like burn yourself out in the same way that he says to to Shinji like you have to find things that you can devote yourself to and work hard at so he's kind of 
trying to find the balance between these two extremes. And yeah, man, now you're really blowing my mind because there's that scene, the last scene of Masato and Shinji together, Masato is sort of saying like, I put all of my expectations on you because we're so similar. And there's this sense of like Kaji being the mediator between these two versions of the same flawed character. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kaji doesn't die in this movie. No. But he's, he's not in the third one. He's mentioned in the third one. There's like a blink and you'll miss it line about him, but he never, he never shows up in it. Oh, I guess I did blink. Well, that's a, that's a loss in retrospect. In terms of just not having Kaji in the third movie, you mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I think now, 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 I'm, now I'm thinking about the third film and I'm like, there was room for Kaji in it. Maybe, maybe not. Well, I don't know. Well, just, we'll make, just make Kaji the fucking house husband on the wonder. Yeah, he's, he's doing all the he's doing all the frabo like domestic Gundam shit. He's he is the frabo of this movie, and frabo is secretly the best character in the original Gundam, or or and, more more the fa I think, because yeah. fa fa has that same thing, but also she can pilot right. I think that's the like to be the big difference between fa and and frabo. But Kaji doesn't pilot. He just runs away in his little vertical takeoff aircraft when he's like but supposed he, to be Mari's handler, and he just leaves Asheron base. What are you doing? But he, he like he like does like right like Frabo. I mean, this is like too too way too deep in the. She just is like not relevant to the plot really, right? She like exists right. in relation to Amuro and like doesn't do anything that advances the overall plot. And I feel like the thing that I like about Fa is that she like is a similar character who eventually is like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to fucking pilot now. Um, and I, I pre- that's why I like about that, that character. And then also has to be like a caretaker for this like catatonic sad child, uh, an archetype that certainly does not appear in Ava at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do we want to now talk about the Mari stuff since you brought it up or... Do we uh, do we want to tackle some other stuff first? Oh, damn. I thought we were going to at least talk a little bit about the watermelons. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yes. The watermelons in the aquarium, I feel like, are a related thing, so we should mention that. Like, I love that this movie makes it clear that, like, watermelons are extinct, pretty much, and that, like, Kaji is bringing them back from the dead, and, like, Shinji doesn't recognize what they are. All of that sort of stuff of, like, the kids not knowing what turtles are and stuff like that, I th- I found, like, really powerful and evocative of the world in a way that, like, the world is over in the show, but you don't feel that way that often in comparison to the way that this movie like hammers home the like ecological consequences of of second impact and really makes it feel like there were it's like it just feels more fleshed out in comparison, which is a nice touch. Can I make just one small note? Please. Uh, the turtle line is actually a Gamera joke. That's something Shinji Higuchi brought in from the Gamera trilogy, because in the in the 90s Gamera trilogy, they never say it on screen, but they said this in a press release. The Gamera trilogy in the 90s takes place in an alternate universe where there are no turtles, and that's why no one ever refers to Gamera as a giant turtle. They just call him a huge reptile. To huh. avoid silliness, they retconned turtles out of that universe. <laughs> And that line in Ava Rebuild 2 is a joke about those movies. Well observed. It could could be two things. (laughs) (laughs) 
no but seriously i do i think this this film does if if it does have an another like great strength is it does a wonderful job bringing to the foreground the environmentalist subtext that were very much backgrounded in the original series and as someone who like cares a lot about environmentalism i really did appreciate that about the film I, that is the, the that the watermelons are extinct is one of those things where it, that does feel like Anno fulfilling his promise of there were things that we could have done with the original that we didn't do that could have made more sense. And it gives the him and Kaji scene more emotional gravity where it's not just like, oh, my hobby is I'm gardening. It's like, mm, no, I'm trying to conserve the world. This is the way I'm trying to be a hero. I can't get in a well, robot. And, I and save it, watermelons. In on in some on some level, I think, and I'm I'm like just having this thought now, so I, I don't know if this makes sense, but that the the extent to which Kaji is like devoted to tending for this thing to this thing that is like clearly doomed to the point where he, you know, is willing to like make all of these choices and do whatever else it is that he's doing in order to like protect this thing that he cares about, I think has some resonance with the way that Shinji relates to Rei at the end of the movie which is right. to say that Rei is is Shinji's watermelon in some some sense is that also maybe one of those things that's Anno breaking the fourth wall I I understand that Evangelion as a narrative project is absolutely fucked but I'm going to try and keep bringing it back <laughs> Right. Like you're going to it's because that's where you get the like life has difficult things that you just sort of have to deal with and you can't just pursue pleasure all the time. So it's interesting that like you bring up the Ray comparison because I feel like it works both ways where Shinji is is making an active choice to go and save Ray and to do something that he hates in order to do something that he wants to do. But his decision to do that is also foolhardy and selfish and not done in good faith you know, and causes the world to end. So it's like Kaji did give good advice, but Shinji did not receive that advice in a helpful way, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's like a, a fair read or not, but I, I also like that Ray has like more, they, they feel like they really fleshed out Ray too as like a complete person compared to the more like empty egoless Ray from the show. And I do feel like even that is kind of like a fan service thing of like, making Ray more of a caring and like approachable and less alien character feels like more in line with the fan conception of Ray than Ray in the original show. But it does work on a dramatic level for this movie. Yeah. I think it, do it also makes every time I watch this movie, there definitely is a moment where I, I briefly am like, you don't have to do that, Shinji. They could just make another one. But, like, particularly <laughs> the way that the movie has developed this version of Rey, like, they actually can't, right? This is, like, a very specific iteration of this person that, like, it, you know, they could, in theory, like, create another Rey, but, like, it would not be one that has, like, these connections and that has, you know, has, has sort of, like, developed these, you know, who, who would, like, attempt to plan this this dinner for, for Kendo and Shinji, right? And that mm -hmm. that spark is, like, I think on some level the thing that, that Shinji is, like, trying to, to preserve. Although that also does, this is, like, a, an, un, or, like, only vaguely related, but it does also, I think, connect a little bit to how the, the dummy system gets used in this movie, because that that's like sort of the most explicit I think that the movie gets about being like, well, like we could just do another, you know, I don't think the movie like is explicit about saying what the dummy system is, but I think it just assumes that, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. If I if I am remembering that right, but that you know I think says something interesting that about uh, in that respect, Shinji being like overridden by the sort of like blank version of Ray when when Gendo flips control of of Unit One to to the dummy system. Right, like you get to see like the fully actualized personality version of Ray contrasted with the most inhuman version of Ray in the same film, almost back to back. Yeah. I think that's I think that's true. Uh, I like I'm only now thinking about this, but something you said, Eric, did remind me when you say that like Ray is Shinji's watermelon. That's interesting because she has that line in the aquarium, which is also a place that Kaji takes them to show them something about nature. She has that line that's like, I'm like these this sea life. I can't live outside of my tank. And her tragic end at the end of the movie is she can't live outside of the angel core anymore. And Zerowell's core is also like a big liquid tank. Hmm. So I I think you're you've hit on something very very intentional there that I maybe I didn't realize on on first watch. Yeah, there's also like that if we're gonna sort of draw the three dots across the movie there's that scene much earlier on where ray is like alone in her apartment and can't leave the apartment so it's also that ray is sort of stuck in being ray is sort of how i interpreted that initial line that like she can't exist outside of the world that's been built for her and then it's like that uh, that becomes literal in the way that you're describing in the zero wall fight yeah i think it's always literal though Mm-hmm. Right. The, the the subtext of that to me is like the literal tank of rays. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I Well, I think it goes from literal to in instead of subtext to text, it goes from text to hypertext. Right. By the end, it's not just like within the realms of the physics of the fictional world. She's now contained within the the metaphysics of the fictional world. And, and that's also true of this idea of the time loop of the inevitability of third impact it's there is no permutation of this story where ray gets to live ray too gets to live right and so maybe the title of the film is not talking to shinji alone but also talking to her as like you cannot advance in the in the plot right yeah none of them can because like oscar is much more like self-aware in this movie in comparison to the way that she is in the show about her own like faults and is kind of openly admits like I can't really be around other people I'm too competitive I don't like seeing other people happy so I'm just gonna keep piloting the Ava because that's what I'm good at but even with her realization of that being true she cannot help but get wrecked like she cannot prevent herself from getting fucked over by the angels and getting destroyed in the way that she does in the show which is sad because she does have, and I thought this was a good addition. I do like that she has that uh, that phone call with with Ray and the car ride with Misato, where they do sort of like make this hint that maybe this Asuka is going to become a, a much more well actualized person. How how did you guys feel about this version of the elevator scene? <sighs> um. Oh my God! I just remember. Go on, and then I'll say that later. I, on first rewatch, I found it to be, because I'm a big defender of the original elevator scene. I think it's really, really good. Are there haters of the So many. There's tons. Wow, that sucks. That sucks. It fucking rules. Wow, that's terrible. I wish I didn't know that. And so I'm glad that it's there because it feels like 
so important to Ray. I, it, I guess like the, the way to speed it up is it feels sped up to me. It feels like that sort of experience of like fast forwarding through the show and playing the hits, which I do feel like is part of the vibe of these movies too, is like, there's gotta be the elevator scene because that's when like, cause it's the elevator scene. It's always there. And having it kind of ultimately be about Ray and Asuka's relationship to Shinji doesn't quite work for me. I prefer it when it's like something that is based in like their, like Asuka's internal conflict, but the, these movies just don't have the space or time to like give her that much. Like it's the same thing you were talking about, like trying to like bring Toji into this movie would be, would make it even more incoherent. And to give us more of a sense of Asuka's interior life, the movie just doesn't have time to do it. And so you get this version of the elevator scene that's more about, it's it kind of leans into the Archie stuff that I, I'm just like less interested in in this movie. Yeah. Here's, I guess the elevator scene is actually really important to me because I'm just remembering. Here's the thing the listeners don't know and Eric also doesn't know, and I don't know if Ian knows, but, um, so like, you know, Ian's, I don't, Eric, where do you live? What what time zone are you in, actually? Eastern. You're Eastern. Ian's also Eastern. He's a New Yorker. Maybe you're also a New Yorker or somewhere in that vicinity. I don't know. I'm in Seattle. So we always record this mid to end day for Ian, but early day for me. And the result of that is... Every time we're going to record one of these podcasts, I sleep poorly the night before because I'm so anxious about maybe oversleeping and missing our recording date. So every time we've recorded one of these rebuild episodes, I've had a terrible nightmare the night before. And my nightmare last night was I was stuck in an elevator. (laughs) I didn't think of that until just now when you when you said that. So I, I guess that scene probably does have like importance to me that maybe I don't consciously realize even talk about not being able to advance. Right. Yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. You're stuck in the elevator forever. Oh man. Do you think there's something fundamental? I will say before very quickly, I think a fundamental, like a way that you could, I think describe our different attitudes toward this movie is if there was a version of this movie where the elevator scene was literally 10 minutes, I would have fucking loved it. Like yes, literally yes. ten minutes, it just like, but there's yes. no diet. It just like keeps going. I would have like really adored that, and people would have been like, "You could have done so much more this time." No, 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 no. Just give me literally ten minutes, one drawing, just go. <laughs> right, the full slow cinema version of like, yeah, if you're going to do this sort of like yucking the yum of the fans, like go all out with it. Um, right, which I do think they try to do with the the Bardial fight, which is just like. It's disgustingly brutal, it, it, like maybe a bit too far, but I think that that's kind of the point. Like it's over agreement with like, oh, you liked that really fucked up fight scene. Here's the version of it that is like so extreme and with such discordant music and like uh, the musical irony of it all that like you're going to feel bad for enjoying this. You know, it reminds me of the the movie I Saw the Devil, which kind of takes the same tact, but for like Korean revenge movies writ large of just oh you like these sort of like fucked up morality plays where like you learn that revenge is bad but you still get to see people do cool revenge stuff we're gonna push that so far it's like the smoke the whole pack thing that we talked about with end of eva joseph it and so you, you this movie feels sometimes like smokes some of the pack and i agree like i wish that it it went a bit more severely down that direction with something like a 10 minute long elevator scene that would be great (laughs) in in retrospect i think that instinct is something he practices here 
and then Anno executes completely in Shin Godzilla, which like as like it's like the perfect movie for like a longtime fan of Godzilla in that I absolutely love it and it does feel like an absolute subversion of what is satisfying about that series. Um, which we don't need to make another... T- We've already discussed Gundam in depth. We don't need to discuss... I talked about a Gamera joke. Um, well, but so. it, is, it, is, it is like, I don't know, like, Shin Godzilla is a great movie about meetings, and I think that on, on right. some level, on some level, this also, there's like an element of like, um, I guess there aren't quite as many meetings in, in this one. There sort of are like the the, the closest or like the sort of uh like two or three Shinji Gendo scenes, you know, where he's sort of like formally resigning and then is is being begging to like be allowed to pilot again. But is like more a movie about like talking about pilot you know, the the like Evangelion right. than it is. And I love I love movie meetings. <laughs> I would have loved a version of this movie that is like all of the mechanics and material materiality of uh of making the Ava's work like all of the red shirt sequences that we don't get like because we don't get the um the crying spider angel in this one we don't get all of those sequences of like the people making nerve work without electricity which is like some of my favorite shit from the show that would have been another nice alternative Ava uh rebuild but instead we get the one with Mari in it yeah with uh well Go, Go ahead, Eric. Oh no, 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 no! I was gonna say the the just making me think about the sort of other like I don't think there's room for two humanizing Gendo moments in this movie, so they couldn't have done the one where they're like trying to make nerve work, and then there's like the shot of him like sitting behind the desk with his feet in the bucket of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be too much. Too much, right? Too but much in a have, movie of too much. Yeah, but they have plenty of time to spend on the worst character in the entire fucking franchise. And like, here's my problem with both of y'all agreeing that there's no room for Toji in the movie. Um, And you'll find out in the next episode, but I am totally taking this idea from mutual acquaintance, Justin charity. There is room for Toji in this movie. It's Mari's room. Toji should have had Mari shit. Like if the movie doesn't have Mari in it and instead the plot is, Oh, here's the twist. Asuka needs to go in Bardiel and Toji's in Unit 2 when they're fighting Zeruel. That is actually kind of a dope movie, I think. Yeah, the 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 domino effect of, of Mari's introduction into this movie is... I, I don't want to say... It might, I personally think it's catastrophic for the, the drama of the third act. Oh, um, hello. She agrees. Sorry, I had to do that. Okay, we're we're distracted from the podcast. I just showed I just showed our guest and my co-host, my cute little kitty, who is Goth Ray. Go on. Yeah, Mari. A character that is not a character. To me, she feels like it's interesting if you think about it chronologically that she shows up in the rebuilds when Jet alone would have showed up in the show because she very much feels like the the Jet alone of the rebels yeah of, of humans <laughs> of, of ava pilots just like oh and I, I i'm struggling with this because i i know that it's really easy to be like i hate mari like that's almost like a fan cliche to the point where i'm worried that it, it'll spark a mari is good actually discourse and so i almost don't want to even get into it but i really do not get what she's doing in this movie why she makes any decisions ever as a character 
and the fact that she gets to do the unit to like end of Ava fight against Zeruel instead of Asuka or a character like Toji that we have some sort of like connection to just sucks the air out of the, the final act of this film for me. Why does, why does unit two have beast mode and why does Mari get to use it? These are the questions that derail everything in my heart, because let's be honest, I just want Asuka to have unit two using beast mode. Not, not to, not to, uh, like harp on my sort of like one thought about this movie, but like to me, that is in fact the point of Mar of Mari. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I could sort like, of, she, she is the ultimate instantiation of being like, Oh, is this the shit that you want? Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Like here's mm-hmm. this new character who like has all these really sort of generic, like these are the girl things that you like and is like vaguely similar to like original Asuka, but like not in ways that are fun. And then she does some of the cool things that Asuka does, but in ways that are not fun and like gestures. Like I think she also like along with the Kaoru scenes is like the thing that gestures the most at there being some lore explanation for the rebuild movies of like, who is this person? And like, what I, I've, I like did some, I, I guess people I don't remember who people think that she is. It doesn't really matter. But that, like, she's, like, designed to, like, provoke that response. And I don't necessarily enjoy her in this movie. But, again, as sort of, like, a real crystallization of, like, that ethos, I, like, on some level have to hand it to them. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to go so far as to be, like, it is fun to watch this character because it's not. But I'm, like... I, I respect, like, not doing the, like, the, I respect everyone being like, we're going to just fucking do this new character and everyone's going to hate it. And, like, the, this is the jar jar of the, the, the you know, <laughs> of, of the rebuild movies. And that, that she, you know, ha- like, that they, they do, like, keep implying that there's, like, some bigger thing that she's doing, but, like, don't actually care enough to tell you what it is. Which I also, that was, like, I think the thing that got me the first time, where I was like, oh, they're definitely going to be like, this is what Mari's deal is, right? Nope. Nope. (laughs) No No chance. (laughs) No, they're too interested in foregrounding her as, like, an almost, like, focus-grouped fetish object. She's, like, such a collection of, of every bad faith, like corporate mandated sexual fantasy of anime fans rolled into a single character and then dialed to 11. I do understand this idea that like there is something venomous in critiquing of the audience in the way that they present Mari. And I think you're on to something there, Eric, but at the same time, like if you're going to do that, the gold standard of doing that is who are, who are doing our next season on is Satoshi Khan. That Satoshi Khan's thing right to some extent or at least the thing that people believe is his thing in certain circles right and i feel the the bite and the heat and the venom when satoshi khan is is like prefiguring his his audience in something like paranoia agent i don't feel it from mari when i watch this movie like i just feel i i i i don't know like pandered to in a way that I hate. Yeah, there's something very condescending about her presence, which I think is like to Eric's point, but I all yeah, maybe again I'm like reacting too much with my own ego of being like I don't like feeling condescended to. I don't like being in this like I love feeling know. condescended to. <laughs> 
yeah, I, like I, I think the more that we go over it, like you, you, you're, you really got me there, Eric. Like, yeah, her, if her point, if her, if her reason for existing in this movie is to make me feel bad, then like mission accomplished. Which, which, which to be fair, I think is like definitely not like, I think it is sort of like a, a problem of like, I don't, I don't want to necessarily a hundred percent be in a position of being like everything in the movie that is bad is like intentionally bad. And therefore it's like impossible. Like that doesn't seem fun to me. I think it's just like I I find a, a useful way of thinking about those choices because I still don't enjoy like there's like a very specific tone, I think, of like the the like pandering of like, is, is this what you want that I think works really well, like a couple of times. It doesn't work that well all the time, especially with with Mari. And I feel like it especially the way that the movie ends with like the third impact and then like Kaoru shows up and then they immediately are like next time more fan service. I like that to me is like the distillation of that vibe. And like, mm-hmm. I think it's definitely like reasonable to be like, there's too much of it and it like isn't achieving like the sort of stated goal in a lot of the other Mari scenes. But to me, like that is the feeling that she's supposed to evoke of like, this is what the franchise is. This is what people like about it. Here's this character that everybody loves and wishes was in more than one episode. Here's us like pretending that there's going to be like a big like lore thing that explains everything about the franchise. Next up, more fan service. Mm-hmm. And like I I the first time I watched this movie, I felt fucking terrible. Like that really got me of like, ugh, like is that what I want? And then I watched the third one and was like, no, it wasn't, or maybe it was. And like that really was what worked for me. And I don't think it works the whole time, but I do like it does feel somewhat clear to me that that is like the point of her as a character. I think whether or not it is effective is like a different question. And I totally understand being like, this is bad, but it feels like very clear to me that that is like what she is like supposed to do. Here's the problem: is is Ian is performing a chaos magic ritual right now he foregrounded the idea that there will be an ismari good backlash and then he dead sea scrolled you eric into enacting it well as, as as you as you said that i was like oh no like i maybe because because i do like i i don't this is like not a thing i've ever like sort of talked about like you know whatever publicly the show but i like watched it and was like oh this is like a fun part of like the project of the movies and i think i like sort of knew in the abstract that people like really didn't like her but i don't think i'm embedded enough in the fandom to like know how universal it is so i kind of have just been sitting here with my like oh i like get like sort of how this character and i think this is also a function of what we were talking about at the very beginning about like me coming into the franchise as an adult where like Mm -hmm. the 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 time difference between me watching the show and end of ava and the rebuild movies was quite short and so i think that a lot of those aspects of the franchise that like increasingly become about itself and about like why people are continuing to watch it to me read as like very funny and interesting and like very some of the more like artistically cool things that happen in the franchise and i like very much get why it would play very differently if you were experiencing it in real time the closest comparison i think i can make to this in anime history is like i feel very grateful that i did not watch the melancholy of haruhi suzumiya when it was airing because like if either of y'all watch that show is that the one that has like the eight episodes yeah. that are exactly the yeah, same? Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 another Wait, thing that i'm sorry what so this is this is this is a show i 
Justin Charity is going to be mad at me for spoiling this because he spent many years trying to get me to watch The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. This is, there's like an arc in uh, this show uh, that's like in the light novels it's originally based on in which basically the short version is that the characters go through this like extremely ridiculous like you know thousands of years long time loop of their summer vacation and uh, uh, it is like called like the endless eight i believe in the the light novel and when they started airing the second season of the show which was like very highly anticipated because the first season was like extremely popular they aired like an episode that was like this and and there also is a character in that show that is like very much a ray that's that's like not worth getting into right now but there's a character in that show that is like I think very clearly supposed to be influenced by Ray. And then they aired a second episode that was the same thing, but directed by a different director that used different like visual motifs to indicate the passage of time that had like very small differences, but like, and like where the actors re-recorded their lines, like, but to make the same episode. And then they did it a third week and people were like, what the fuck are you doing? And, <laughs> and, <laughs> All eight of the episodes have different directors, different ways that they communicate, like what is happening in the time loop and like what is important. Like there are like some of like one of the directors really likes like focusing on clocks. One of them really likes like lingering on these like spaces where people like will be at different points in the time loop, like all this other stuff. And it is a thing where like every time I read, I, I've read like a lot of old, like basically Reddit threads of people who watched it as it was airing, who are understandably really fucking pissed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and who were all like, Oh, like there was all this stuff that happened in the light novels that I wanted to see. And like, I thought they were making like a season of the show. But from my perspective, I watched this having been bullied into watching it by Justin Charity, who told me to not look up anything about the Endless Eight, but the fact that he told me it was called that made it very obvious what was going on. Um, And I was like, this rules. I, like, will half pay attention to these episodes, but the fact that they did this is, like, unfucking believable That, like, everybody involved, or almost everybody involved in making the show was, like, what if we just fucking did it and we're legends? Like, what if we just did this, like, insane thing that everyone will hate? And it's not even because, like, there are always people in those threads who are like, oh, this must have been, like, a production decision to save money. Nope. They made the voice actors re-record all the lines every single time. They had different people direct all the scenes, so it's not like they're really reusing backgrounds. They just, like, did it. They just, like, did it over and over and over and over again, and you had to watch it for eight weeks in a row. And, like... The the difference in reacting to that, I think, like, in real time versus, like, me being able to come into it and, like, understand what it is doing but not feel as, like, indicted or as, like, maimed by it in some way, I think is, like, very similar to how I respond to a lot of that stuff in the Rebuild movies. Right. If you sort of look at all of this as, like, in the the time honored tradition of like anime that is directly fucking with fans. It helps to have some degree of uh detachment from that fandom or like, yeah, the, the exact point of doing something like that to turn the screw on people that wouldn't be into it only can work. If people like Joseph and I are overly invested in something like Evangelion, giving it 
giving us what we want from it. Whereas you, you're able to come at it a bit fresher and therefore. Well, I think it's it also just a time ways. thing, right? Like totally. there are things that are currently airing that I respond to like that. But I think that just being able to think of it as like a work that is not necessarily completed, but that is like a broader franchise that like interrogates different themes as it goes along makes it a lot easier, I think, than being like, right. I am like seeing the future of the franchise from the, from the, the back or like from this particular vantage point or like Mm -hmm. from like looking head on instead of sideways, if that makes sense. Sure. Now you're making me wish as a lifelong Metallica fan, I had not listened to Saint Anger until now. Right? <laughs> would I would I think about it differently now if I hadn't like bought it when it came out and been like, oh God, why is there a grindcore snare on this album? What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very interesting framing of of the of why we might have different reactions, even though we're three people who I think have a similar amount of affinity for for this series and this and this narrative right it just makes me the problem is i can't test it like i can't like blank my own brain and try it like you've done write it down and then restore my memories and read what i wrote but if i had the disposable income and the technology and the time, maybe I would do something like well, that. Well, maybe you know maybe I mean? maybe the closest we can get to a control is just you gotta just watch the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya and be like, do I do I enjoy this? And like how does it line up with people's reactions who were watching it as it aired? Because they also mm-hmm. said the other thing that feels really important to me is they said nothing they like didn't say anything about the fact that they were doing it. Like there was no like no winking shit from the producers. There was no they just like aired the episodes. I wonder if someone was fired or like reprimanded. Like I wonder if there was some sort of like repercussion yeah. for doing that. There there was. Oh, the the director, the if I'm remembering correctly, the director who like really was behind it, like did not work for a while afterward. But like, way to go out. He, he was, but I I'm pretty I I could be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read interviews with him where he was like worth it. <laughs> He's Lou Reed making metal machine music, right? Exactly. Yeah, the vinyl I, I, LP that destroys your record player. <laughs> I I really I like, and I think just personally, I like really respond to that impulse. Of like, because I think that's a hard thing to do. Like, I think that there's like a reason that so much more often you get something like we were talking about The Force Awakens that feels bad because it is trying to do the thing that it thinks that you want. And like, maybe there's a middle ground that's like doing something that is like genuinely interesting and like playing with the themes, but in a way that like is not as concerned with fan expectations. But, like, if given a choice between the, you know, Force Awakens approach and, like, really being, like, fuck off, like, I'll take that any any day. Because it just, at the very least, to me, is more interesting, and it makes me think harder about what I liked about the thing in the first place. Um, rather than being, like, almost on some level, I think the, the fan service approach has, like, the same effect but worse. Because I, like, you, like, watch something like that and you're, like, is... Is that what I like? Is that really what I was enjoying? Like, mm-hmm. what what was I getting out of this? And it feels bad in, like, a different and sort of, like, not as conscious way to be like, oh, right? Like, you were saying with the, the like, crosses, like, coming out of the lightsaber is, like, is that what they think that I want? And, like, is it what I want? 
Um, and I would much rather be like asked that question like point blank than than sort of like slowly have to come to it by by uh, watching something that looks like it was made by committee. Or, or watching something that was made by eight different auteurs the same yes. way in a row. Uh, which is to say both by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> well, personally speaking, I think that that middle ground that you're describing is something that the next movie that we're going to talk about on this podcast does exceedingly well. Um, so if, if we have any final thoughts about you cannot advance, this would be the, the time to say I'm justice for Toji. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, the, the zero well redesign blows. I do not like mummy zero well. I do like when mummy zero well turns into ribbons to go through the crater it's made. And I, I know that we've just had like a two hour long discussion about like fan aesthetics adhering to you know the consumer's desire is bad actually thank you for like bringing me to jesus on that eric but at the same time for some reason all i can remember is yeah zero with more than one ribbon arm is bad yeah i god what are my last thoughts about this movie like i don't know like i said the 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 thing that i like always remember as being the center of this movie even though like on this rewatch it really is not is like a thing that is functionally a sitcom like log line, like Ray tries to throw dinner party for Shinji and Gendo. The fact, I don't know, like maybe this says more about me than it does about the movie, or it says like something about me and something about the movie that that relatively small part of it that still feels like the center in a lot of ways is like on some level, the entire movie, I think, could be summarized as Ray attempts to throw a dinner party for Shinji and Gendo and it goes terribly wrong. And the fact that this movie, this like very uneven, like lumpy, bizarre movie, like has that premise, I think is cool. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this. It's been an absolute blast, Erica. This is, I love the series that you're doing on uh, Paranoia Agent right now, and it's going to be something that we're going to refer to a great deal when we eventually get to oh, it. Oh, no. These, those, this is all my, like, first thoughts on Paranoia. I haven't, like, th- this I've, like, sat on for a while. Paranoia <laughs> Agent is just me and Chingy yelling at each other about not liking Millennium Actress the appropriate amount. <laughs> I I wasn't aware of, of your work with regard to, like, anime writing before a few days ago when Ian sent me that series, Eric, and I just want you to know, like, I was so mad when I started reading it and realized that you aren't quite at the end of the series yet because I yeah, we, we have to do, well, we so have to much. do, thank you. We have to, we have one more, I think. And then, uh, we'll, I don't know. I like kind of hope that we get to do something else with it. Cause it's been very fun to like, like this is my first time watching paranoia agent and I've like watched a lot of other Satoshi Kone, uh, work and then the other Chingy, who's the other person I'm doing it with, has like watched it a lot of times, but has not watched or had not watched a lot of the other Satoshi Kon movies that I've watched. And like that feels like a really good, like different set of perspectives rather than like one person hasn't seen anything. But I feel like that like sometimes is like a little bit like difficult. I don't know. I want to hopefully do something like that with Sailor Moon eventually because I'm watching Sailor mm. Moon for the first time and I want to talk about it. Out of curiosity, are you watching original or Crystal? Uh, I'm watching the original. Okay. I like maybe I, we'll I, watch Crystal later. I know like a little bit about the differences, but I was like, I I specifically want like a '90s sort of like 
shoujo vibe. Like, I want the, like, original Sailor Moon experience that, like, made all of the people that I know who love Sailor Moon love Sailor Moon. I thought about rewatching, well, I not thought about, I attempted to do a rewatch of 90s Sailor Moon early in the pandemic because I thought, well, now I'll have the time. And then I realized you have to wait almost 20 episodes before you get to Sailor Mercury even. And I was like, I, I actually don't have this much time. <laughs> Turns out it takes more than I thought. Yeah, um, it's very slow at first. But that's that's cool. I'd love I'd love to see you to see you do that. I'm super excited to read what you think about the uh, Daikaiju Shonen Bat sequence in Paranoia Agent. And, um, you know, when we finally talk about Paranoia Agent, maybe you should come back and we should have some more conversations. This this podcast recording has been hard for me because as we're recording it, I am ass deep in doing all the research for our Satoshi Kon series. And so it's actually been hard for me to remember, like, oh, right. What are Ano's things? You know, what what was going on with Ava? Because right now I'm in the I'm deep in uh, Millennium Actress land. <laughs> cool. That's uh, I think seemingly an underheld uh, 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 minority opinion that it is my favorite uh, of his his works. We'll get to that. But I, I remember. In my in my in my heart, in my nostalgia, it's the one that I have the fondest feelings it's, for. It's Let's see if that holds up. I made uh I like made my girlfriend see it with me in a theater and like she does not watch a lot of anime and I don't often play the like you have to watch this card but I did and then I was like pretending not to cry at the end um <laughs> which also vaguely related when this is like dumb and somewhat unrelated but I think is like a a, a good like sample of like different types of people's relationships to Ava when the it premiered on Netflix I was like very excited because I was like I'm gonna get really into this this is like a huge thing that like I know I'm going to like and that people have talked about for a long time and my girlfriend was like is it important to you that I watch this and like she does not like things that are sort of like depressing or like too abstract like we we sort of like tried to watch Utena and like it didn't didn't super work and I, I was like no you like really don't have to and then she tried to do it anyway um and couldn't get past like the second episode but it really meant a lot to me that she tried and i feel Mm -hmm. like on some level that is like also you know like a feels like a very ava like approach to like well i'm going to try doing this thing that i know is going to be miserable you know because someone (laughs) else said it was important uh you and i had the exact same experience by by the way i my my significant other also made a good faith effort i think she got to the boys and then she was like no this is dumb (laughs) and couldn't do it well this experience has not been miserable uh i've had a lot of fun having this conversation thank you again eric for coming on if there's anything you want to plug or thank you guys damn i feel like if i was going to plug anything i would plug like people voting in their their new york city council races but this is going to come out way after the election on tuesday (laughs) i'm fully city council pilled i don't know i i don't have as much sort of like um i i guess the big thing uh would be uh like way earlier we had a conversation about like mech stuff being used uh as like an allegory or using the metaphor to talk about labor hopefully by the time this comes out the first installment of this comic that i am writing with this really great artist that is like about the support staff at a mech uh uh factory attempting to form a labor union will be out fuck yeah Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> Why oh would God. you make something so within my wheelhouse like that? <laughs> it it really is a thing where like I sort of like started to have I had this thought when I was like watching a lot of original Gundam, and I feel like people often do jokes that are like like it would be funny if like the pilots like unionized, and I think that like it is funny, but also specifically the way that mechs get used as a metaphor for this like essential whether it's like a thing that is essential to your sense of self or essential to your country or whatever the idea of like mech piloting or having the mechs like function serving the same sort of like societal purpose as like teachers or nurses right because so much of last year when i was like thinking about this at the early part of the pandemic was like people talking about essential workers where like you can justify treating people like shit precisely because the thing that they do is so important and they have to just accept being called heroes and like not ask for better working conditions. And I think that that my hope is that that is like a a way of approaching Max that like does not actually have like a long history because the sort of like cultural approach to like unions and like workplace protection is like very different and, you know, uh, notoriously different in Japan. So, Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's extremely exciting. Um, I can't wait to read that. And yeah, we'll send all the listeners towards your various links if need be. And uh, they will be able to come back next time for even more fan service. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you liked the episode, please rate, review and subscribe. If you want to share your thoughts on the show or about anything really, email us at humaninstrumentalitypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at another Avapod and on Instagram at humaninstrumentalitypod. Extra special thanks to Kira Anderson for the graphics and web design. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>